verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me, Lord, as I am teaching through this, and I pray I wouldn't be a hindrance to everyone understanding this. Help us understand this, Lord. It was written for us, for everybody in this room. I pray this, um, I pray for the kids on the other side, Lord, help them, help the teachers. I pray for every church in the Boston area, Lord, that you would be using these churches and draw them to you, Lord. But, but here we are, Lord, in these, in these verses here, right in the heart of the book of Philippians. So much here, Lord, teach us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, just a little review here in verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised the eighth day. Now, good Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day. Not the seventh, not the ninth, the eighth. That's in the, the book of um, Leviticus, I believe. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, meaning he's a pure blood. We see conflicts, even in the New Testament, between those who were pure-blood Jews and those who were not. He says, no, I had it. I, I was a pure-blood Jew. I am the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of two tribes of the 12 that didn't break off from King David's line. A Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. And so what he's saying is that I, before, I was, before I was a Christian, and by the way, all Jews were, all Christians were Jews uh, before this time, or about the time Paul was uh, that Paul was converted up to that time, like 95% of them were Jews. But he was one who the Jews looked at and like, wow, I wish I was him. And we talked a couple weeks ago that you could easily fill in anything there. We talked about Pete Maravich, the basketball player. 
Psalms. It's like I, I earned every award, but it was, but, but um, it, uh, it, it meant nothing to me. Let's continue on. It says, verse 8, let's continue on reading verse 8. Yet indeed I also come all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Now go down to verse 10. And that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so he said, from a religious standpoint, everyone looked at me, they were jealous of me. I count it all as rubbish. Some translations say dung. And so you can... You can substitute anyway, like we saw with Pete Maravich. He was an athlete, I, and, and he said the same thing. I count it all as rubbish now because I've gotten to know Jesus Christ. You're a CEO of a corporation, and you can go out and find people that speak about this who were CEOs who are CEOs. I count it as rubbish all that stuff, all that corporate ladder stuff, rubbish that I may know Christ. If you're um, um, an academic or if your thing is whatever, being in a gang in Boston. I count it as rubbish that I may what? Know Christ. And so that is where we have been. Again, verse 10, which is kind of like the peak if, if Philippians is, is, is Mount Everest, the peak of Mount Everest is verse 10. It is verse 10. The, it climaxes here. It's at the very peak. He says, I, I, everything else is, is like cow dung, it says in some translations, that I might know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so... Uh, here we go. We listed four things a couple of weeks ago, and here they are right here. I count my life rubbish that, number one, why don't we say it all together? Number one, know Jesus. Number two, know the power of his resurrection. Number three, know the fellowship of his sufferings. And number four, to be conformed to his death. So number one, n- I count all things rubbish that I might know Jesus. For example, his joy, John chapter 15, verse 11, right before he's crucified, he says to his disciples, all these things I've been saying to you so that you can have my joy and that your joy would be complete. Well, I want to know that joy. That's what Paul is saying. And, and, and then, um, whatever, the gentleness of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight nine 9 says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Okay, gentle. Now that's something I want. I want to know him, says Paul. So whatever, it's the love of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, his courage, and so forth. Paul says, I, I, I consider everything rubbish for this privilege I now have of getting to know him. So number two, can, we, can you just, you can, um, 
You can keep it up, Wendley. You can just keep it, um, this up for a little while. Number two is that I might know the power of his resurrection. What's that? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, what's the first three words? What are they? In the beginning, it says the earth was without form and void, but it says that God spoke and that which did not exist came into existence. So by that same power, that resurrection power, the Bible says, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's by that same power... Um, God takes a human life enslaved to sin and addiction and he frees it. By that same power, he takes a life that's spiritually dead and he makes it alive. Christianity is not about making good people better or real bad people less bad. It's about making dead people alive. And, and says, by that, re but that I might know the resurrection power. Paul says, I consider everything rubbish so that I may know the resurrection power. And then number three, he counts everything rubbish uh, that he um, might know the fellowship of his suffering. So now, for example, in Matthew 26, 56, um, right after he was arrested, Wenley, can we get Matthew 26, 56? It says, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All of them. Sometimes Peter gets a bad rap. They all forsook him and fled. So don't get this idea about God, about Jesus Christ. He was fully God and fully man, that somehow he was immune. He had no feelings. Like, if you're pretending with me that you don't care what people think about you, you're, I'm not thinking you're spiritual by not caring that. Jesus hurt like a man. He wept like a man. He laughed like a man. But it says, again, all his disciples forsook, forsook him and fled. So, when verse 10 says, I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, He's saying, I want to know Christ in such a way that when I'm suffering, because I've been stabbed in the back by my best friend at church, I want to have that sharing of, of, of fellowship with him. There's an intimacy there that you can't get any other way. And then the last thing, Wenley, can we have the chart? It's to be conformed to his death. To be conformed to his death. And uh, you remember uh, what that means. Uh, it, 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 when it says being conformed to his death, just think nothing in the world could prevent Jesus from doing what he had to do on the cross. Remember, he was tempted in every single way that you and I have been, but he went there faithfully anyway. So remember, Satan, in chapter four of Matthew, says that the devil took Jesus up to an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, and the Satan said to Jesus, all this I will give to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. And what did Jesus say to him? Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
And so when Paul says, I, I consider everything rubbish so that I may be conformed to his death, he says, I want to be, I, I be like that. I don't want anything stopping me from being like Jesus Christ. So again, verse 10, Paul's like, the best possible thing in life is to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, I grew up in churches where every Sunday morning, the congregation would stand up and recite out loud the Apostles' Creed. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Apostles' Creed is a very solid uh, statement. It's all from the Bible. But this is what I grew up doing, uh, the Apostles' Creed. You'd stand up and you'd recite it. And I have it for you here, the Apostles' Creed. So I'm going to read it. And some of you know it by memory. You don't have to stand up, though. But... Uh, this is what, I, as a kid, I used to get up, and this is what I would say. It says, I be, it's all, by the way, it's just pure Bible here. So I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost. He's born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so congregation is seated at that point and the, the service goes on. If I could summarize what my idea of Christianity was growing up, it was standing up and saying the Apostles' Creed. That was Christianity. Christians were, if you were a Christian, that's what you did. Fast forward. I'm 24 years old. A few months before I get married, I got this friend named Don. Now, Don was a pest. But, but I would call him a, a, a sanctified pest. I mean, he was... He just relentlessly pestered me. You got to go to church. You got to go to church. You got you to read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. I mean, this was Don, and, and the, he's the kind of guy who pestered you so much, you would just do what he wanted you to do just so you could get him to stop. Okay, I'll read the Bible. And I remember Don gave me this commentary of the book of John, and he pestered me, dude, you got to read this, dude, you got to read this, dude, you got to read this. To this day, I call him dude, not Don. But, but like he, he gave me this little commentary in the book of John, and so I began reading it, and I 
would read a few verses of John in the book of John, and then I would read some of the commentary, and then I'd read a few verses from John, and then the commentary. And now, if you know the book of John, (laughs) the book of John is Philippians 3.10, right? The the book of John is just uh, Jesus saying, here's what Christianity is. It's, it's, it's about wanting to, to, to know Jesus, to know the power of his resurrection, to know the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. So I'm reading that and I uh, began to realize that what Jesus wanted from me was really different than standing up and down and reciting the Apostles' Creed once every Sunday. There's nothing wrong at all with when churches do that. But I realized, wait a second. <laughs> what, what, what God wants from, from me, what this Jesus stuff is all about, is very different than that. He wanted to be my life, and he required my life in return. That became really clear from the book of John. I mean, it says things like in chapter 6, it says, unless you feed of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that wasn't me at the time. And so, let's go back to where we started today, verse 12 of Philippians 3. Now, remember the context, so important to have the context, Paul says, I think everything rubbish, he had, he'd given up everything so that he may know Christ, verse 10, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So that's the context of verse 12. Now in verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained, not that I've already arrived is what he's saying, not that I've already I'm not verse 10 yet. Where he had just said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I I haven't gotten to the place where I know him. And he's talking, not knowing facts, he's talking about knowing the person. He says, not that I've already attained, verse 12, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now, what this verse is saying is that the reason Christ Jesus laid hold of you, now listen up, you're taking notes, and I hope you are, Write this down. The reason, what he's saying there in verse 12, the reason that Jesus Christ laid hold, uses that language of you, is so that verse 10 would hap- happen to you. Here's, um, here's another translation. This is the Common English Bible. The Common English Bible puts it like this. It's not that I've already reached this goal or have already been perfected, but I pursue it so that I may lay hold of it because Christ laid hold of it, of of me, Christ laid hold of me, 
just for this purpose. So another translation is the, oh, I love this. This is the easy to read, the ERV. I think it's a great version, actually, the easy version. So it's another translation of verse 12. I'm not saying that I've already reached that place in my life. I have not yet completely become the person that God wants me to be, but I am trying very hard to reach that place. That was Christ's purpose when he first made me his own. So Calvary Chapel, Christ laid hold of you for so much more than standing up and down in a church service. He laid hold of you so much more than believing what is in the Bible. He laid hold of you so much more than to make sure that someday you're you're, you're not going to die and go to hell. But that is one reason. But that's not, it was so much more than that. He laid hold of you so that you would have a relationship with him. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with with the risen Christ. He laid hold of you, uses that language, so that you would know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be conformed to him in his death. Everyone with me? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. So back to our verse. Actually, there's so much in this verse. Again, verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So, so I hope you have, I hope we get this at this point. Christ Jesus laid hold of that person called you. That's what God did. He, he, it doesn't say he laid hold of your family. It does not say that. It doesn't say he laid hold of your church. It doesn't say that he laid hold of your city. It says he laid hold of you. Now, that's a really important fact when you got 7 billion people in the world, how you're supposed to think of yourself as anything other than completely insignificant. I mean, that's why the antidepressant industry just loves all the 7 billion people. I mean, it's a, the, just the, the insignificance of being in a world with, uh, with, with, with 7 billion people. But God Listen, God didn't create this world only to leave it up to your best guess to figure out who he is. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live for you, to die for you, to raise from the dead for you, just like the Apostles' Creed says. But what the Apostles' Creed left out was that then Jesus Christ laid hold of you. Now, that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. It's true that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16. God so loved the world. But it's also true 
that he so loved you. We were in Galatians, last book before Philippians, we were in Galatians, chapter two, verse 20. Also the apostle Paul, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved the world. Any objection? That's not what it says. He does love the world. That's why he sent Jesus. That's what John 3, 16 says. But it says, no, he, 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 who loved me and gave himself for the world. That's not what it says. That's true, but that's not what it says. It says he gave himself for you as an individual. And so it is completely, listen to me, it's completely irrelevant how much attention everyone else is getting from everyone else. Did you hear that? It's completely irrelevant how much um, attention everyone else is getting from everyone else, from everyone else. God's attention is on you. Now that doesn't mean that you're more important than anyone else. That's a thought that comes into my mind on a regular basis, probably every day, I'm ashamed to say. But I'm not more important than anybody. But it is true that God died for me. And he died for you. The elders of the church read a a book on John Wesley who in the 1700s, along with Whitfield, there's like this massive revival in England and in America. And just all of a sudden, slaves mattered. <laughs> and so William Wilberforce comes in. He's a product of that whole revival. And John Wesley, they had a, a, a communication. Slaves are freed. All of a sudden, there's reform in child labor. All of a sudden... There's reform, uh, you know, hospitals, like people other than warriors and troops coming home, they actually matter. And, 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 and it's just incredible what happened to, in terms of the nation's uh, attention on an individual after that revival swept through. And of course, there was another one in the 1800s and another in the 1900s, and we're praying for another one. But the point is, is that individuals matter in the economy of God. It's not just countries. What's good for the country? Thank God that this country was established by a bunch of Puritans who came, other, came over for all their faults. They, they, the individual liberty took precedent over the whole state. Aren't you guys? And, and, so it, 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 and so... The wonderful thing is here, it said God laid hold of you, of you. So, okay, back to verse 12 again. So much in this verse. Next thing I want to focus is the very beginning of the verse. It says, not that I have already attained. Verse 13 reads the same way at the beginning. Remember Paul, anywhere in the Bible actually, when it's really important, it's just repeated. If it's really, really, really important, three times in a row. But this is really important, it's repeated, beginning of verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have 
apprehended. Meaning, I, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not living the fullness of verse 10. I, there's, there's so much more about Jesus that um, I, I want to know. And, and he's not talking about facts. He's talking about the personality. He's talking about God himself. He says, I, I, again, verse 12, beginning, I have, not that I've already attained or am already perfected. Now, one of the weird things that happens just over the years, and if you're a student of history and you read history of Christianity, there always seems to be a group out there who says, well, because of Jesus Christ, I'm perfect. Actually, there was a group of them in the, in, in the first church, Stephanie and I were in after we were married. There's a group in the church, we're perfect. And uh, I remember being in this, this, this home group where this guy was saying this, and I... I didn't know how to respond because I didn't know Philippians uh, chapter th uh, three. I didn't know Philippians yet. But it, it says, not that I'm already attained or am already perfected. Now, just this week, it so happens, I was in my favorite devotional. I have a little page here. This page is 250 years old. It really is. And you say, why don't, you, why don't you have it locked up in a box? Well, what's the point of having it locked up in a box? Why not use it? I got it from my grandmother's house after my grandparents passed away. They had this little devotional. I began to read it. I'm on, I'm on number eight times going through it, a 365-day devotional. But um, it, it, it says here, it's written by Bogotsky. It says... Speaking of a person who has come to a place of exceedingly great godliness after years and years and years of walking with the Lord, it, it's speaking of that person. It says, though he has practiced the duties of the children, rather of the Christian life ever so long and so well, he always thinks himself to have received but a very little portion of Christ and the work of sanctification hardly to be begun in his soul. And that's true. And if the Apostle Paul is saying it, certainly it's true of you and me. I said there's an expression that if you grow as a Christian, you sin less, but you repent more. And so he says, I'm, not that I'm already perfected. So hit the pause button there. Just to, to understand this, there is some truth when a, 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 an aberrant Christian group runs around saying they're perfect. There's some truth in that. Because the Bible does say that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it says you receive the Holy Spirit. That means Jesus Christ, remember it's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It says immediately you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it, it says in a sense, yes, you are perfect and blameless before God. So that's why Ephesians 1 says this. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says he chose us, and that means you, in him, meaning in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we, that means you, should be holy and without blame before him in love. So there is a sense, yes, when you have Jesus Christ in you, there's, you're now before God, positionally before him, 
He's not going to be angry with you. He's not going to be coming down with his wrath on you. All that wrath went on his son, Jesus Christ. He sees you in this way. That is true. However, in terms of um, Philippians uh, chapter 3, it's so important that every Christian realize there's so much more. (laughs) And there's always so much more until you die. Uh, so much more of what? So much more of uh, verse 10 that, that Paul says, I count everything as rubbish. Pete Maravich said, I counted, I now count everything as rubbish that I might know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So there's always so much more. Always so much more. So again, verse 12. Next thing I want to talk about here. It says here in verse 12. It says actually middle of verse 12. Go to the middle. It says, so I press on. It says, again, beginning of verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. Verse 13 Middle of the verse says the same thing. So I reach forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, here's number three. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, so it says I press on. So now, I can hardly emphasize the importance of this. Unfortunately, there's something huge lost in the translation from the original Greek to this, these two words that say, I press on. Uh, it's the Greek word for I press on, it's the word dioko, dioko. And the word is used 44 times in the New Testament, and get this, 31 of the times it's translated Persecuted. It's, 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 it's like this, Matthew, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew. Do we have that, Winley? It says, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. So that word press on, same word as persecute, same word. And the, the idea is that when he says, I press on, the idea is, it it means to harass and trouble. So if you go into one of those Greek dictionaries, you say, to harass and trouble, which is what happens in the persecution, right? So, So when it says, I press towards the goal, what it's really talking about is harassing God, troubling him. You remember when Jesus said uh, about the widow that basically uh, kept the judge up all night and just harassed him until he says, listen, this is how you got to pray. Well, this is an example. He goes, I press on. I just harass God. I'm going to trouble him until I know Jesus Christ, until I experience the power of his resurrection and when I see it. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when you're sharing God with someone or in your your sin in your own life, this addiction, I need the power of your resurrection, God. And and so what in this particular case here, when it says I press 
on that I may know him. So to get out of your mind this picture, and I love quiet times. I love quiet times with my, my guy, Bogotsky. But, but get, out of, get out of your head this time where you, you know, you get a cup of coffee, get a comfortable chair. It's cold outside, you're warm, you're relaxing, and you read your chapter of your Bible for, for a day. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a man or woman saying, I'm tired of getting angry at my wife. I'm tired of getting angry at my husband. I want to know you, God. You see this. I'm tired of the porn. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I'm tired of being so impatient and frustrated with everyone around me. I want something else, Lord. I want you. I want to be conformed to you. You promised it. I want to see it. I, I'm tired of all my unbelief, all my doubts of being a coward to share my faith. I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of being so discontent. This is my sixth job in two years. I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of your suffering. I want to, I, I'm tired of not being clueless about the purpose for my life. That's what this is talking about. Again, nothing wrong with the comfortable chair, the coffee or tea, and putting your feet up on an armoire. Although, if that is it every day, then that's a big problem. That is a big problem if that's all you have. You'll find that, that those things that so frustrate you just sapping all your joy out, which leads to a question. Why this intensity? Why is he using a word like persecute to describe his pursuit and what your pursuit of should be of God, of Jesus Christ, to know him, to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Is it so he can have better favor with God? Say it louder. No. We read Ephesians 1. You can't get any more favor with God in a thousand lifetimes of trying to be good. Impossible. Jesus Christ did everything on the cross. The blood covers all your sin. Is he doing it, is he calling for this intensity um, because otherwise he's going to be in trouble with God? No, he's not. Why is he doing it then? Anyone want to, anyone want to yell out the three-letter word? Mm. The three-letter word. Joy. Joy. What did this chapter begin with? Someone, someone, someone say it nice and loud. What did this chapter begin with? Very first verse. My brother, Oh, someone's got to say it louder. Nice and loud. What's the first verse of this chapter? That's right. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then what does he say right after this? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. What he's going after 
is the joy of the Lord. That's why he's saying this. And the more you know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, the more, the more that you'll be filled with the joy of the Lord, which is what this book is about from beginning to end, the more you'll be filled with the joy of the Lord. And, and the Lord gives that joy. Why? Because it's so tied in to his glory. When you are suffering and you have the joy of the Lord, people look at you and they go, okay, I want to know about that God because that's a great God that does that in his son or daughter. Paul says in the book, the same, same author in the book of Acts, he says uh, this in chapter 20 of Acts, verse 24, he's being told of all kinds of sufferings. He's going to be beaten. Some guy gets, so he's on his way to Jerusalem that's a guy, a prophet, gets, gets and starts rolling around on the floor and ties himself up with ropes, saying this is what's going to happen to you when you get to Jerusalem. Other people say it's going to be changed, you're going to be mobbed. And, and this, is what his, this is what his response was. None of this stuff moves me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. So joy is the motive. And so I'd like to ask at this time, I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. If you could come up, if you've been asked to pray, could you please come up at this time? Paul says, I count all things rubbish that I may know him and the power of res his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And it's important that you understand many times the one thing that is inhibiting people from, from seeking God like this, from pressing forward for like, God, I really want to know you is their past. Is your past. You got an ugly past. You got an ugly record. You did this and that and, and uh, you did something 20 years ago. You did something else last week. It's, it's gory. You really, really, really hurt someone really, really bad. You get five baby mamas out there. Mmm, ain't funny. There's a lot of pain there. And it just, I've seen this, I see this over and over again. You got stuff that is so bad or you've been unfaithful for so long or you've backslid however many hundred times and you just you don't want to you don't want to go forward like he's saying but what is what does Paul say here this is one of the most glorious verses in the Bible it says in verse 13 it says this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. The idea is to stretch, 
to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting. You know, the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ, we read it in Ephesians 1, and faith in Christ and your position in Christ, every single day for the rest of your life, you have a blank sheet in front of you. What you did yesterday is all been paid for. It's all been paid for. And, that, and what this is saying is just forget about, it says, this one thing I do, I forget. You're talking about a guy, Acts chapter 8 and 9, who would go from house to house dragging moms out, dragging da dads out, and then going and killing them. That's the guy who wrote this. Now you can imagine how that would affect his ability to even talk with God unless he knew about the grace of God. And so in one place, I think it's in Timothy, he says, God had exceedingly abundantly, abundant grace on me so that I may be an example of all to follow. And he says, and this, I tell you, this is what I do. I forget what is behind and I press on towards the upward call of Jesus Christ. So if you could stand at this time, we're going to sing a closing worship song. And if there's anything at all that stirs in your heart and you'd like prayer, if you could come up at this time, you're thinking, wow, I, I, I have that thing in my past which is like a 300 pound weight that I'm carrying around it's just preventing me from doing what I know the Lord wants me to do I know he wants that intensity for me come up we'll pray about it or if you're just thinking about verse 10 this is the peak of Mount Everest is that I may know Christ the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings if you want more of that, you just like to have someone pray for you. Come on up. If you've never given your life to Christ, he wants an exchanged life. It's a simple prayer of faith, the Bible says. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, I stand at the door of your heart and knock anyone who opens, I will come in and I will eat with him. Well, what's that about? It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Is there anything else you want to pray? You can come on up. Otherwise, let's, let's worship. Father, we thank you for this time. Continue your business, Lord, with us. In Jesus' name, amen.